Thank you. Be seated, if you will. God bless you, and we welcome each and every one present today, and we welcome those who are tuning in uh, live stream. We thank you for uh, tuning in as well, but we trust that uh, life is good and everybody is well, and, um, you know, we still got uh, a lot of restrictions around us and all that good stuff, and just uh, heed those warnings out there, but stay safe and uh, protect yourself. But we're glad you're here and, and glad those who are tuning in and trust life is good and will continue to be so. But uh, today is a day in which we realize that this is a day that the Lord has made, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? And uh, so let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for the morning that you've given us, the opportunity to, to gather together in spirit and, and in presence together as well. And we thank you for all that you are and, and all that we're able to experience and enjoy in your presence and in your grace we thank you for during the times of our life that we find ourselves in troublesome situations that you are there. And even during the times where we are in questioning it or even in doubt that you are there. And Father, we thank you for all the provision and care and blessing that is ours. But more importantly, may our time together and our minds and our hearts be focused on you and focused on who you are, and, and in all your majesty. And we thank you, and we love you, and we praise you as our Father and our friend. In your name that we pray, amen. Well, today I want to bring a message that's entitled Rescue in the Midst of Trouble, kind of what the theme is about, even with the music as well. And, and we're looking at Acts chapter 7, but I want to look at a passage of Scripture. One of my favorite stories, and you've heard me say probably in the past, one of my favorite stories is a story of Joseph that's recorded in Genesis and how God responded to all of his uh, needs of his life when he was faced with great trouble. And that great trouble that came to him uh, was not something that, that he deserved. It wasn't something that came to him that, that it was because of his actions of his life. It came to him because there were those around him facing, um, had jealousy within their heart, had looked at him with, you know, with spite. And as a result of that, in, in, in his innocence, he found himself outside of his comfort zone and he found his life in a, a mess of trouble. And it was troubling times for him. It was times in which he didn't know where to turn at times. And yet, God was there in the midst of his life, orchestrating all the events around him to bring about the, the preservation of an entire nation of people, millions. When he may have thought that he got a bad rap, God was working and bringing together some good and bringing together for his glory and his honor. And yet in Acts chapter 7, it's Stephen who is given an address and he's standing before the people and he's giving forth an example of God's work in the midst of their life. And he gives an address in Acts chapter 7 in verses 1 through 15 and I want to read that, and then we're going to look at the actual scriptures in Genesis chapter 37, selected ones through 
Genesis chapter 50. And in beginning in verse 1 of Acts 7, it says, Is this true, the high priest asked? He said, Brothers and fathers, he said, Listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran, and he said to him, Get out of your country and away from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God had moved him to this land in which you now live. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. Even though he was childless, God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country and they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and they will worship me in this place. And then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. This being so, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac did the same with Jacob and Jacob with the 12 patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. And that's a big, big gap that happened between those two verses. And the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into, into Egypt, but God was with him. Now keep that in mind. God was with him, okay? And he rescued him out of all his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him governor over Egypt, over his whole household. And then a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan, great suffering, and the forefathers could find no food. And when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our forefathers the first time. The second time, Joseph was revealed to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph then invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt. He and his forefathers died there. Now, the story that, that the address that Stephen is given is, is not so to cover a history lesson, even though he is covering a good history lesson. But that was not the point of his address. The point of his address is verse 10. He rescued him in the midst of trouble. It says that God was with him, and, and yet God rescued him in the midst of trouble. And the question is, how did he do it? You would think that it was instantaneous, that one day he was in trouble, the next day he was out. But that's not exactly how it happened. It took years upon years upon years, and it took trouble upon trouble upon trouble. And then at the end of all of that, when it got to the, the, the crescendo of what it was all about, God showed forth his face, and he brought Joseph out of that trouble, and he brought an entire nation with him, and he preserved a remnant of, a remnant of 75 people who become the patriarchs all written within the scripture. 
And so here we see how God would take care of Joseph's life. So let me ask you this. How do you handle trouble that comes to you? So how do you handle trouble that comes to you? Now, there are several options. One is we, can, we could cut off the lights and close the blinds and shut the door and we can stay indoors. And I'm not talking about a quarantine here. We can stay indoors and not see anybody and we find ourselves wallowing in all of the depression and all of the troubles that we have. Or we can, we can do the same thing and drop to our knees and begin to cry out to God and so that we open the communication to what God is teaching us through the midst of that trouble. Or we can complain about things and, and make ourselves out to be a martyr in the midst of the trouble. We can become negative about it or we can look at it from the standpoint that something grand is happening because God is with me in this trouble and if God is with me, he's gonna get me through this trouble and if he's gonna get me through this trouble, it's not so to bring himself down or to bring me down, it's to bring glory unto himself and yet bring me up. So there are many different options in our mind and heart that we can do in the midst of trouble. We can run and we can hide or we can embrace it and look for what God is going to do. So in the midst of that, Stephen gives his address calling for the people to have faith. And so the trouble that comes in our life just may be that God is trying to resurrect and deepen the faith that you have and I have in him. It just could be that God is trying to redevelop something within us or continue to develop, should I say, something in us that's going to be for the greater good, not only for our individual life and our individual family life, or it could be for our entire community, it could be for our state, and it could be for the world. Who knows what God is up to when he allows trouble to come into your life and mine and how he's going to get us through that so that we can see God in all his majesty. Now in the end result, we're fast forwarding to Genesis chapter 50 and the end story is God got the glory. It wasn't so that Joseph could be the leader of everyone and it wasn't so that Joseph could stand tall and say, I told you so. It wasn't so that Joseph could be admired and admonished and, and resurrected as a monument somewhere. It was so that the people would find themselves face, face to face with God, the God of their life, a God who walked them through 400 years of trouble. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You probably know that verse by heart where it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. When trouble comes in your life and mine, and if you and I are a believer in Christ, we belong as a citizen of the kingdom and God is the God of the kingdom. 
And if we belong to the kingdom, we belong to God, and we know that God is up to something, and he's beginning to stir within us and around us, before us, behind us, and beside us, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you've committed your life to Christ, you love God. If you love God, you're called according to his purpose. This is not a maybe when I get around to it type verse. This is a promise that God says for those who love him, those who are committed to him, those who are his sons and his daughters, he says, I will work, work those things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't make trouble easier. It doesn't mean, hey, you wake up and you have a, a bowl of Rice Krispie cereal and you're excited because you're in trouble and you're, you're hurting and you're emotionally distraught and you're saying, man, this is one of the best days of my life. I'm excited for this trouble and uh, bring it on. That's not how we look at it. It's just the opposite. It hurts sometimes, emotionally, physically. It hurts in re relationally. It hurts financially. It hurts in all of our movements, wherever we go. And so trouble is not something we're excited about. It's something we hope that passes very, very quickly. But if it doesn't pass quickly, at least commit this in your mind and heart. God, I know you are with me. As you were with Joseph during his many years, as you were with him in all of his trouble when he was sold into slavery, he was abused in many different ways, he was accused of things that wasn't really so, and he was placed in a, in a disarray of his life, ripped of his family, ripped of his father's love. Remember, if God is the God of Joseph, then he's the God of your life as well who can get you through that trouble in your life. Everybody has trouble, right? It's going to happen. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit of trouble that just uh, comes our way and, and it passes quickly. Then it's some that just gets rooted and it just won't leave and it hangs on for a little bit too long than we want it to. All right, let's look at the story, Joseph's story of perseverance or the story that encourages perseverance and it's found in Genesis 37 through 50 and if you look at those verses you're thinking oh my goodness this guy is going to keep me till supper time I am not I promise you I'm going to look at selected scripture in Genesis chapter uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 37 and uh, looking at several selected scriptures I want us to look at the plot I want us to look at the jealousy. Now, you look back in Acts chapter 1, um, chapter 7 that we read of that, that address, it started off by saying that the things that happened to Joseph was because of the jealousy, okay? And in chapter 37, in verse 12, it begins, his brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pastoring the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. In verse 16, I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pastoring or pasturing their flock? 
And in verse 18, they saw him in a distance, the brothers did. They saw Joseph in a distance. And before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. He goes on as they come on. Let's kill him, throw him into one of the pits. And we can say that a vicious animal ate him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So you hear, you hear the jealousy. You hear the, the, the rivalry between brothers. You hear, you hear hatred. You hear brothers who are more, and more about their own life and they would rather kill an innocent life to make themselves look good. And in verse 23 and 24, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. You remember the coat of many colors? Showed a, they thought the father showed favoritism with that coat of many colors. And of course, is a, a story in itself, but they viewed that as a threat. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. So here's the plot. I mean, you, you can't put anything else in there as to what that plot is. Here was a group of brothers who felt shafted by their father. And their real trouble was not against Joseph. Their real bitterness was against their father. But they took it out on Joseph. Because if they felt as they got rid of Joseph, then the father would change his tune and direct their love and their, his favoritism back to them. So they said, let's take care of the innocent and let's not worry about the father. It'll all take care of itself. And so here's their plot of jealousy. Here's their plot of hatred. Here's their plot of bitterness so that they could stand tall and Joseph could be gone. That's a pitiful plot, isn't it? But it's there, and it's trouble for Joseph. And more, more importantly is that the trouble, really, when you, mag, when you put the two situations and the brothers up against Joseph, and you follow the trouble that the brothers had in their life compared to the trouble that Joseph had in his life, there was more trouble on the brothers than there was trouble on Joseph. And so God was with Joseph. Never forget, God was with him through all of this trouble. In fact, without that statement, then Joseph, I firmly believe, would have never survived. God was with him because God was working for the good of those Joseph, him who loved him, and who was called according to his purpose. God was already actively involved in Joseph's affair of his life and actively involved in Israel and Egypt's life, the two nations, and he was going to put some people together that was going to save a group of people who became the patriarchs of the entire scripture. God knew what he was doing. It wasn't just an accident that this all happened. God was orchestrating a, an event to bring glory and honor unto himself and to bring about a message of reconciliation, 
a message of reconciliation that's needed in our world today every corner and every place you go. The need of reconciliation in your life and my life everywhere we go. And yet God was orchestrating this beautiful story of reconciliation. And if you remember and, and go back and follow all of the motifs of, of, of Scripture and themes through Scripture, you can trace this story of reconciliation and you can see the beautiful theme that comes out and then all of a sudden it reminds you that there was one who was in trouble, the greatest trouble of all. He stretched out his arms, he breathed his last, and he reconciled the world unto his Father. And that was Christ. And so the plot is there. The jealousy is there. And you see the, the life of Joseph now is going to take a different turn. Now let's look at the provision. And in the midst of that provision, you see grace. I'm so thankful for the amazing grace that saves my soul and the grace that is operative within my soul. And you together, I, you and I together, realize that grace is what keeps us sane in the midst of trouble. And so in chapter 37, in verses 26 through 28, it says, Then Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When the Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. Man, I, you know, if somebody sells me, I hope they're going to sell me more than 20 pieces of silver. <laughs> you know? But during that time of day, that was a large sum of money. You know, and... and here, here was one who stood up and said, wait a minute, I see your plot, I understand your plan, but listen, this is our very own flesh and blood. Let's don't kill him, let's just get rid of him. And let's just have him disappear and we'll sell him into slavery and when he goes off to Egypt, we'll see him no more. So you see grace in the midst of one of the brothers who stood up and said, time out. Let's don't deal with death. Let's just dismiss him. And so even in the midst of the plot of jealousy, hatred, bitterness, and resentment that all the brothers had towards their father and took it out on Joseph was the provision of grace. And grace was operative from the very beginning in Joseph's life. And it is the grace of God. Remember, God is with Joseph. And he rescues him in the midst of trouble. And so God is orchestrating through the one heart of his brother Judah. And by that grace of God that comes out, he says, hold on, time out. Let's not kill him. Let's preserve his life and let's sell him into slavery. And then they all agreed. 
So even in the midst of their plot and jealousy, I really don't believe they wanted to kill him. Or they wouldn't have agreed so quickly to go ahead and sell him into slavery. And so we see here is grace. Grace that is operative in Joseph's life in the midst of trouble. And this is, if you're in trouble, you've got to go back. You remember, you are one who belongs to the Father, who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's already working out those things for the good in your life. You realize that even in the midst of trouble, there is grace. Because the trouble could kill you. The trouble could overtake you. It could blow your mind. It could cause you to take your own life. You see that happen to people all the time. Grace is operative. And grace is in the midst of the trouble. As it was in Joseph's life, it will be in your life as it will be in mine. Now, so we see the plot. We see the provision. We see the plot of jealousy. We see the provision. And yet it is manufactured in, in a great way and operative because of grace. Now, number three is let's look at the placement. Let's look at the guidance that's happening. Over into Genesis chapter 39. Now, we're jumping a little bit. And in Genesis chapter 39, in verses 1 through 4, it talks about this placement. We're talking about this guidance. Now, Joseph had been taken to Egypt, an Egyptian named Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him there. The Lord bought him, excuse me, he bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Here it is again. The Lord is with Joseph. Now, this is a man who's got trouble, right? This is a man who's, who's being ripped of his family, who's, 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 who's become an, uh, an adult orphan. And it says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Now, wait a minute. You said Joseph was in trouble. Yes, I did. Here was God at work in Joseph's life, and even in the midst of trouble, he is making Joseph successful. He's, you remember, he's working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God is already at work for that good. And then he goes on to say, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. Wow. So here was this operative grace in the midst of the plot of jealousy that God was working out all the guidance in Joseph's life. This is a wonderful story, isn't it? This is not a story that just someone created. It is a real-life story that took on a definition that changed the character of an entire family. And it changed the character of that family for the good because God was with Joseph and God's grace was very operative. And you can't fight against God's grace. 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, Jesus says. If that's not the greatest picture of grace, and he says, it is finished. As much as those who fought against Christ and put him on the cross and nailed him there to kill him, they could not stop God's grace. They could not stop God's love. They could not stop the orchestration of the reconciliation of the entire world who cry out to Abba Father and are reconciled to him. You see, God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he, he, knows what he was doing in Joseph's life, and he knows what he's doing in your life. And he knows what he's doing in my life. So whatever trouble you're facing, go back to that promise of Romans chapter 8, for God, for, for God is working for the good of your life because you love him and you're called according to his purpose and God is up to something great. He's up to something exciting and his face is going to shine. You're going to be deflated. He's going to be inflated and you're going to see the majesty of God greater than you could ever imagine in the midst of your trouble. That's what happened in Joseph's life. That's why I love this story. Joseph is one of those that you want to stand beside and you, and you root for him. You don't want to stand there with, with the crowd and, and shout with the brothers to bring out more hatred and bitterness. You want to stand there with Joseph and root for him and say, keep on, keep on, keep on. Fight, fight, fight. You will make it. Continue on. Well, also in Genesis 39 and verse 6 and 7, it also says he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority, remember Potiphar did, and Pharaoh, he did not concern himself with anything, anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. He had a treadmaster is what he had. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And sometime, after some time, his master's wife looked longly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. All right, remember this is midst of trouble. But he refused, and he, but he refused. I probably should emphasize that greater. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. So here we're seeing the placement, and we're seeing the guidance. You're seeing the, 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 the moral come out in Joseph. And when he's presented with the temptation to take hold of someone else's wife, he says no. And he knows where he's at. He knows what God's doing. He knows something is up against, against him. He knows it's trouble, but he knows he can see. He can see the light in the midst of the tunnel. He can see beyond the horizon. He has the vision, and he can interpret things all around him, literally, and through dreams. And as a result, he says no, I don't want this. I've been given great respect and I've been given great honor that I'm going to take care of the house of Pharaoh and I'm going to take care of, his, of the vice president of Egypt, which is Potiphar, the second in command. And he said, I'm not going to do anything that's going to put anything detrimental between me and this administration, this governing rule. He said, in fact, I'm going to honor it. Why? Because Joseph loved the Lord. Joseph knew his father, the father of all, and he knew that God was more powerful than Joseph's life. 
And even in the midst of all that trouble, God's guidance was guiding him in his thoughts, in his heart, in his life, around him, before him, behind him, all, all behind him and before him. God was at work doing great things. In 19, in verse 20 of that same chapter of Genesis 39, when his master heard the story his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious and he had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Go back to the plot. The plot of jealousy has now led to the point where Joseph is in prison. So here was God's grace operative in Joseph's life. He was put in great authority. He was trusted with everything in Pharaoh and Potiphar's land, household and even in the land. And then this woman jumps up and says, because she was attracted to him and he refused her offer and because she had this power, she made up a story that made it look like that Joseph had taken advantage of her and accused Joseph of attempting to rape her and yet Potiphar and, and Pharaoh believed the woman without any evidence just because she said it and threw him into prison because they said, he was not who we thought he was. Now remember, this is placement time. God is orchestrating the events, okay? Throw what you can at my servant. Go ahead and do whatever you're going to do in that trouble that you're throwing at him. But remember, I am more powerful than any trouble you, you throw at him. So God's working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when they threw him into prison, God saw it as an opportunity. All right, now I've got him. I've really got his attention and I've got the attention of everybody around him. And so now things began to happen that's going to basically bring him out of prison in a greater position of leadership than it was before he was in prison. Remember, God's grace is good. It's always operable. And so we see through this the plot, the provision, the placement, even though it was jealousy, we see grace, we see guidance. Now, number four, let's look at the position. Let's look at the position, which is the power. In, in Genesis 41, I told you I'd get through these chapters fast. Genesis chapter 41 Verses 37 through 40. Genesis 41, 37 through 40. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this man, a man who has the Spirit of God in him? So, oh wow. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and as wise as you. You will be over my house. Uh-oh, Potiphar just got fired. You will be over all my house and all my people will obey you. Wow. You're talking about power and position. God took Joseph, put him in the prison. Pharaoh has these weird, crazy dreams and he can't find anybody to interpret his dreams. 
And then all of a sudden, all that happened when Joseph interpreted one baker's dream and all that comes back to remembrance while he was in prison and says, I remember Joseph has a way to interpret dreams. And so they convinced Pharaoh to bring Joseph to him. Joseph interpreted the dreams. And the dream was basically there's going to be seven years of, of feast and there's going to be seven years of famine. And you must prepare for the famine. Even though you will be enjoying for a long time the feast. And as a result, he put together this plan of how, in the midst of the feast, how he can prepare for the famine. Pharaoh was just mesmerized at the power of this man. And recognizing that God was at work in Joseph's life and the power that Joseph had had nothing to do with Joseph but had more to do with God in his life. Remember, God is with Joseph. And then it goes on to say, he rescued him in the midst of trouble. Stephen says it in Acts chapter 7 recounting the story that's reported and recorded in Genesis chapter 37. And as a result of that, we see that the power that Joseph has now has nothing to do with anything he has manufactured in his own life. It is God at work in and through Joseph. God's face is being seen. God's glory is being experienced. Remember, God is working to the good for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, so we see this power. We see this position. Now, jo Joseph is out of prison now, and he is the right-hand man. If, if, if Pharaoh dies of a heart attack, it's going to be Joseph ruling the entire nation of Egypt. He's the guy. That's how powerful he is. And so, but not because of his power, but because of God's. Now, let's keep moving along. Number five, let's look at the pride, but in the pride, I want us to focus on the humility. And in Genesis chapter 45, man, he is moving right along, getting closer to chapter 50, and that means I get to go get something to eat. All right, Genesis chapter 45, verses one through nine. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all the attendants, so he called out, Send everyone away from me. Now, a lot happens between chapter 40 and chapter 45. The feast has been experienced. The famine has come. And as a result, the nation surround, around Egypt is hungry. They're in desperate need to take care of their lives. Egypt has prepared for the famine. And so the word gets out in the land of Canaan or Israel or Judah however way you want to refer to it, where Joseph's family was, his father heard Egypt had grain. And so he sent two of his sons to, first of all, spy it out. And the moment those two sons came, they were the brothers of Joseph, that is, Joseph recognized that, they, he recognized familiar faces. He wasn't going to forget his family. Eventually, he sends them back. He says, go get all your household. 
and bring him back to Egypt. So now here he is. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of his attendants. So he cried out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were too terrified to answer him. Then Joseph says to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into slavery, into Egypt. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Quickly return to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come to me without delay. Now, human nature wants to say, you sold me into slavery, you brought me here, and now you're going to pay. But Joseph doesn't do that. The pride is there, you know, in the brothers' lives, still, but you see no pride in Joseph's life. You see humility. He's heartbroken. He's heartbroken with joy. <laughs> heartbroken because he missed some things in his life, but he's overcome with joy when he sees his brothers and recognizes them and says, they're still alive. I still have opportunity to be with my family and to be with my father. And so instead of zapping them, and he, he made it clear that what you did to me was not good. He made it clear, but he says, in spite of your non-goodness, God's goodness is more powerful and God has orchestrated the events. And it's not because you sold me into slavery that I'm here. It's because God placed me here. He saw it a whole different way, didn't he? He knew, he knew God was with him in the midst of trouble. And God rescued him in the midst of trouble. And because God was with him, 
Joseph was successful in everything he did. He was successful when he stood before Pharaoh the first time. He was successful when he counteracted the accusations against him from Potiphar's wife. He was successful when he was put into prison. He was successful when he was in Pharaoh's household. He was successful when he was dealing with the famine as well as the feast. He was successful when he stood before his brothers. He was successful before he ever was sold into slavery. He was successful even though his father thought all these years he was dead. Joseph was successful not because of who Joseph was, but because of who God is. That's the key. It's a beautiful story. It's a story that I can preach till sunrise, which I, if I do, I'll be on the wedding with a beach, uh, for a beach wedding. But God is good in the midst of all that that happens to us. I know it's hard to say that when you're facing the difficulty. I know it's hard to say that when you're dealing with grief. I know it's hard to say that when you've lost your job. I know it's hard to say that when you're financially bankrupt. I know it's hard when someone knocks on your door to collect or to evict or to displace you. I know that. It's hard to say that, but you've got to go back to the story of Joseph and be reminded that God is with you. If you love God, you're called according to his purpose and he's at work working for the good of that in your life to bring out greater greatness, something greater. So we see humility in Joseph's life, not a get even type of attitude. Now we're going to fast forward to Genesis chapter 50. Man, I smell my bacon. All right. Genesis 50, verse 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will surely repay us for all the wrong we caused him. Now let's look at the kindness. This is what the is about. It's all about the kindness. The kindness of God in working in and through Joseph's heart and giving forth that kindness back to his brothers. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brothers' transgressions and their sins, the wrong that they have caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when this message came to him. And then his brothers also came in, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you, your little ones. And he confronted them and spoke kindly to them. So number six is that kindness. The kindness that is so powerful. The kindness that goes far beyond the hate. The kindness that penetrates bitterness. The kindness that, that brings about calmness. That dis, dismisses the unsettlement and unrest and unpeaceableness. So you see, we could probably tag this as kindness slash guilty. <laughs> the kindness of Joseph facing the guiltiness of the brothers. 
not the guiltiness from the standpoint that you've done wrong because they have. We know that guilt's there. But the guilt that they had within them because of what they've done. So now we see here was some brothers who had an idea. It was more than just being out there and, and chewing on a Kit Kat bar out in the desert and having a Coca-Cola and a thought come to him. It was more than that. So here was that thought, let's get rid of him, and now they stand to, before the one they wanted to get rid of, begging for mercy. And Joseph didn't need them to beg for mercy. He just needed them to have an open heart, to have a heart that could love once again, a heart that could receive once again, a heart that could could enjoy life once again. When we stand before God, God expects our confession. God, I have sinned, and I am in need of a Savior. I'm in need of you taking care of the sin of my life. God's wanting us to confess that so that we can receive the mercy and the grace and the power that he has to orchestrate the difference from the inside out of the person we were created to be and to become. God is willing, and so God's kindness is granted to us. Kindness is, I will remember you today. You will be with me in paradise. Ultimate kindness from Jesus' words on the cross kindness in Joseph he says listen don't be afraid relax take a chill pill I know you hyped up on your Starbucks coffee just calm down relax I am going to take care of you now go get everybody in your family all your little ones all the children bring them here I'm going to take care of you. And he spoke kindly to him, to them. But in the midst of all that, it's very important that we note that Joseph did recognize the wrong. What you meant is evil, God meant is good. So he recognized that he didn't give him a, he didn't say, hey, I'll just bypass it. No, he recognized that what they did was wrong. Absolutely. But he also said, your wrong is not more powerful than God who is right. Greater is he that is within me than he that's in the world. And Joseph saw that. What a story. Don't you think Joe, that helped Joseph persevere? Every time he faced trouble, God showed his face. Every time he had a downward turn, God brought him right back up. Don't you know that helped him to persevere and push through that trouble and say, one day, I'm going to get through this. One day, I don't know how it's going to happen, but one day, I'm going to stand and I'm going to say, this trouble is gone. And now he stands before his family and he knows his trouble is gone. God worked it out for the good of Mr. Joseph to bring about greatness for his namesake 
So how will you handle treatment? I mean, mistreatment or trouble. How will you handle that? Now, I know that's not a question you just answer and say, oh, I know how I'm going to do it. But it's a question to, a rhetorical question to think about how you handle that mistreatment and the trouble that comes into your life. What's the perspective that you have or will have? Will you embrace God's work in the midst of it? Now, you may call what we're going through now in our, our world as trouble. It is very troublesome, especially when you have friends who, who call you and say, you know, they've, they're sick or a family member says, I've got illness. All that's trouble. But yet at the same time, we must embrace the fact that God is at work in the midst of what we're going through. Who would have thought that Gathering Community Church could reach 1,300 people in one Sunday when we are a small congregation and average 68 to 70 people on, on what was our normal Sunday <laughs> and in one fleek of a camera we could reach people in 14 different states quickly. Or you could go off on a vacation and be sitting there with Mickey and Minnie and, and watch and, and, and worship right there in the midst of the castle of Disney World. Who would have thought? You know, God is at work for the good for those who love Him are called according to His purpose. And if God worked all that out in Joseph's life, don't you think you matter to him to work out all that trouble in your life? Absolutely. Embrace God's goodness. Embrace his work. Embrace his love and his grace. Embrace all that he has for your life and my life. We embrace that together and watch God do something grand. And maybe one day when we wake up and we're able to look back, we'll forget about looking back because we're so mesmerized by what we're looking at, the greatness of God orchestrated all this in my life. Wow. Why? Because he loves me so. If you've never committed your life to Christ, the greatest trouble that you're in right now is the fact that you have no hope and your destination is is a condemnation. So why not change that no hope and change that judgment in your life to Jesus and to turn a new life, new, 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 new heart over to him? How does it happen? I'm a sinner. Lord, save me. I can't live my life on my own any longer. Save me. Well, if you make that commitment right in your heart, God is working something grand and new. And those who are tuning in, if God is doing that in your life, and you'll see at the bottom right hand of our screen, you see that telephone number that you can call. Pick it up and call it. We'll help you. We'll be on the other end to help you. If you happen to get the voicemail, lead the message who you are, we will return the call quickly as possible. The Lord God loves you. His grace is more powerful. 
and his work is more, more in-depth than any trouble that can happen in your life and mine. Let's give him thanks. Father, we thank you that you're in the midst of our life, in the midst of even troubles that come, difficulties that come, even during the times of questioning and doubt, even when we're facing mistreatment, we recognize the fact that you're the God who is over and above and more powerful than any of those circumstances and situations of our life. We thank you, God, that you save people from their misery and from their trouble in their life. We thank you that you give new life, you give new birth, and I pray for those who are in need of a Savior to cast their care, their heart, their life before you and cry out, Abba, Father, save me. Father, I also pray that each of us who know you and, and love you, even during the times that we find ourselves weak, that we will see strength, that we will see might and know that you are capable, you're all sufficient and sufficient enough to take care of our every need. Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for being the God that you are. Even though evil happens, there is good. And thank you. In your name that we pray. Amen. of the sea Creations revealing your majesty From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring Every creature unique in the song that it sings Paul exclaimed Indescribable you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God All-powerful, untamable All struck we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim You are amazing God Our sing heavenly storehouses laden with snow Who imagine the sun and gives source to its light Yet conceals it to bring us the coolness of night None can fathom Indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God All-powerful, untamable Awestruck we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim You are amazing God Indescribable, uncontainable you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. In